Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcasts, your premier comic podcast for modern marvels, chronos gaming classics, and more. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me being a bird person on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. That's fiery variety, not Shiar Plumy variety. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter at Dazzler AOA. That's like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse, where you can hear me calling everybody fish kisser. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike at some point in their lives, anybody who hosts the Phoenix. Yeah, this has been something that we have said is coming for a really long time. And I think that when most people think about Jason Aaron's Avengers, perhaps the arc that comes to mind most readily is, at least from a cultural fan reaction standpoint, probably going to be Enter the Phoenix. While it is certainly not the longest arc or the pinnacle arc of the series, I think it's one of those situations where the discussion of the idea outweighs necessarily the contributions because as several of us have read ahead, you know, it's not that Echo takes over the book when she becomes Phoenix. So this is a little bit more of what maybe feels like that editorial detour that we've talked about, which of course means we're here to talk about Avengers number 39 to 45 as part of our Avengers look back project, especially as we approach the finale of the series. Of course, this is one of those titles where just as much as we could say it is Jason Aaron's book, we also need to credit the incredible collection of unbelievable artists who contributed this title. We have Dale Kwan, Scott Hanna, and Jason Keith on Avengers 39. For Avengers 40, 41, 43, and 44, we have Javier Garon, David Curiel, Lionel Francis Yu, Marte Gracia, and Sonny Go, alongside Avengers 42 and 45's Luca Maresca, David Curiel, and an incredible number of artists on the cover, with letters all throughout by VC's one and only Corey Pettit. So, alright, before we can even get to Enter the phoenix because we're gonna i want to start with let's let's have the first talk everybody's favorite classic phoenix i'm talking gene rachel the phoenix five i guess can be in there i guess you know uh who's everybody's phoenix 616 it's gotta be rachel classically like i am in love with the idea of taya is phoenix now i'm so like ah psych but that's not a classic phoenix host but i think rachel probably embodied the best phoenix host she wasn't ever not in control there was never a moment where she was going to go dark and you know it's just so ingrained with rachel i think even more than gene i'm frankly insulted that you did not mention the most important classic phoenix host nate gray he's going in my <laughs> subheading you know stick with the ladies you're correct he is a sub i thought you were going to talk about the guardians of the galaxies phoenix <laughs> <laughs> for me it is gene you got to go with the original the classic i do love the moment where scott repossesses the phoenix out of the egg right before Secret Wars. That is a truly beautiful moment. It's nonsense and it means absolutely nothing and it comes out of nowhere. But A, dynamite look. B, I'm like, these two are going to make it. And then of course the entire multiverse ends so they actually don't make it. But like, had some real hopes there for a second. Well, we're not talking about hope. 
we're talking about classic phoenixes. Thank you. And, you know, obviously my classic phoenix is going to be my genie, uh, Jean Grey, you know, kind of the character that I, I based my whole identity around for a good portion of my life. So Wait, do you go around cleaning, Nico? No, I went around dyeing my hair red. I dyed my hair red for like six years. You know, it was a little bit Tori Amos, a little bit Jean Grey, a little bit you can't tell how thin it's getting if my entire scalp is red. So I got to say Jean for classic. I want to point out that Madeline Pryor did have contact with the Phoenix and it's revealed in X-Men 243. So, you know, Maddie first appears in X-Men 168. It's said that her uh, time connecting with the Phoenix might be about 171. And then, you know, we get the clarification on it all at the end of Inferno in 243. Jean, of course, first appears in X-Men number one and her Phoenix connection begins in 101. Of course, it has been retconned to be, I mean, I think Jean and the Phoenix connected way before Jean was even conceived. So, and I think that's canon, which is incredible. Rachel first appears in X-Men 141 and she's kind of Phoenix right away. There's really no arguing that, but there's that really specifically powerful issue in 199, well before everything gets kind of weird and Excalibur, yikes, everybody's eating unborn babies, I guess. Rachel, put that away. So then Jean comes back and she's super duper Phoenix over in the pages of New X-Men. I just imagine her now in the inflated trash bag. She can't stand the flame and it's really beautiful. Of course, that's New X-Men 114 to 154. Who the fuck is this of course to that I keep saying? Like people are listening to learn things. So for those who don't know, it's New X-Men 114 to 154 plus the annual. And that sort of is the statement on classic X-Men Phoenix. It's kind of X-Men 101 to 154. Uh, Here comes tomorrow stretching across two titles and like, you know, 30 years. Do you guys agree that we can more or less kind of count everything from Uncanny 101 through New X-Men 154 is kind of the classic Phoenix? Or would you guys make an argument that the classic Phoenix either terminates earlier or extends a bit later? I think the classic Phoenix ends before Morrison because I think Morrison really started a new era for the Phoenix. It's This is a tough call specifically because of Rachel. And it's unfortunate that Morrison never touched that because like even to not get too deep into it, but either fully canonize or fully decanonize the idea that Rachel is actually the child of Jean and the Phoenix and like Scott doesn't actually really factor into it. He's just like the parent that raised her, but the people that made the baby were Phoenix and Jean, which uh, given this whole situation we're going to talk about today actually is really funny. Oh my God, that's such, oh my God, yeah, that makes Scott the new Phoenix if you think about it, carrying <laughs> yes. the baby. I can't, I can't. I have anyway, <laughs> but so, you know, if he had said something about Rachel, for me, it would be no doubt this is the classic Phoenix story beginning to end wrapped up by the end of Morrison because of Rachel's existence and the fact that it is kind of important and she does have this really fundamental relationship with the Phoenix I'm loath to say that it's you know more uh, from Claremont's run through Morrison's run as the classic Phoenix with a slight diversion over to Rachel but it really does feel like Claremont sets up about half of an idea that he never really gets to wrap up especially because he doesn't get to just let her die and have us move on entirely because she, you know, is resurrected and things get more complicated between that and Morrison. It really takes him coming in to gather all the threads that were left as a result of Jean not just fully dying in the Phoenix Saga and weaving together a really beautiful story that takes things as high level as I think they always deserve to be. You know, I'm going to give the unsatisfying answer and say that I'm still not ready to decide. I think this is something I need 
need one more Rachel story to be able to reflect on the totality of the Greys and the Phoenix and decide how it all works out for me. Okay. I do like that idea, though. It's for Rachel. It kind of set up in Days of Future Tense that, yeah, Days of Future Present. I want all of these presents. I- <laughs> it sets up that Cyclops might not be Rachel's dad because Sue has no trouble finding Franklin, but Cyclops can't find Rachel. So it's kind of semi-canon that Cyclops might not be the dad. And speaking of things that are kind of nebulous canon about parentage, I believe that, I mean, first of all, side note, I kind of like that the Phoenix was like a little bit Scott- a little bit Logan, a whole lot of Jean. Here's Rachel. And that's why she's a tracker hound, like her other dad. And I think it was all just very forward-thinking Krakoan baby. And I'm really here for it. So, but, you know, other than weird, you know, poly fantasies that, you know, Marvel will never approve of, I, I want to ask you guys about what I'm going to call <laughs> the Age of the Phoenix Shard. First of all, what the fuck is a Phoenix Shard? I It sounds obscene any way you cut it I don't love the term but starting with Phoenix and Song which I want to go on record as saying I am normally a humongous Greg Pack fan uh, I am not particularly a Greg Land fan right but I specifically think the writing is what's rough on Phoenix and Song whereas the art is really lovely and that's really tough for me because it should be the other way around with this creative team uh, I think Greg Land is responsible for some really unfortunate aesthetic choices throughout most of his career with the X-Men whereas I think Greg Pak has created some of the most vibrant stunning examples of diversity at Marvel that have worked to create bridges between generations and Amadeus Cho is one of the most important characters to me so I'm a big Greg Pak fan but I can't the only thing I will give to it is the idea that we know something that happens is Marvel goes to writers and says hey we need this story done would you like to do it one way or another this story is getting published we need it for whatever reason would you like to be the person that does it and given where Greg Pak was in his career at that time I can fully believe that this was a story that was brought to him and it wasn't really the type of thing that for reasons of being able to say like you know I wrote the Phoenix for reasons of a steady paycheck for whatever reasons it wasn't the type of thing that you would say no to you would just make the best of And to me, it reads like a great writer making the best of a mandated situation. Okay, I'm on board with that. It obviously would have had a lot of heavy oversight. Something you said to Nico about Greg Land being the artist on that, but actually having pretty, I think that's probably some of Greg Land's best work. Some really iconic Phoenix art that you see all over the place on Twitter. So I, I really do think that's probably some of his most restrained where he doesn't dive into his worst quality art on that for the Greg Land. So I, I get it on that. I gotta agree with TK. I think it's a lot of Marvel editorial mandate on that. I agree. And I will say War Song, you know, I can't give War Song the same. No, War Song's awful. <laughs> it's just bad. It's just bad. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I feel like I'm trying to be pretty objective, even though Greg Pak is a writer that I really love and I probably am going to bat for him more than I might for others. I still feel like I'm trying to be pretty objective. You know, you really could say he's written so much great stuff this is not really good but whatever but I actually do think it has some merit I just don't feel like it is the type of thing that 
I would expect that, and I could be totally wrong, but I don't think it's the type of thing that I would expect he would go into the office and go, this is the story I've needed to tell about the Phoenix. Kill a hundred cuckoos or whatever. It's too many. Killing any number of women for any reason is too many. Especially when they're lifeless in tanks. And then, you know, that's where the Greg Land stuff gets a little weird, um, but whatever. We get to the Second Coming era and everybody loses their Phoenix shards, but Quentin and Hope. And I think it's because Quentin's in stasis. He's in the tube at that point because when he came back for End Song, it didn't stick. Just like when any of the cuckoos came back for a while, it just kept not sticking. So Rachel even has that moment where she's like, Mom, no. And I feel like we even see the sword because Rachel starts dating a guy who's basically Cloud Strife, but Bird, for X-Men. Strife. Yeah, you know, and he's got a bunch of Zack in there. Yeah. But, you know, he's got her mom and a sword and that's something we usually kind of save for the Von Strucker family and instead we brought it to space. Okay, that's what we're doing. So Why is it blue, is it blue though? I think because they were trying to reflect this dynamic shift into this other Phoenix identity that was being focused around Rachel who was having really blue psionic energy and I think they thought that if it wasn't consistent, you wouldn't connect it. That's also the era where she's going by Rachel Gray. She watches her entire family get murdered and then gets a bird skeleton but it kind of looks like a dick forcibly tattooed on her back. A dick with wings, let's be clear. And then yeah, goes out into space and dates bird strife that has her mom in a sword. Psychologically, I feel like she probably deserved a little more assistance after this era than she ever really got, especially becoming Revenant and coming back to Age of X. And, you know, I feel like the best Rachel journey there's ever been is in the breathtaking Leah Williams and David Baldon X-Factor. And she's like, Rachel sends Phoenix there. And there is no little trace of it. And maybe that's where I'm like, Rachel isn't my favorite Phoenix because I love her more without it. That I feel like she's better than the bird. But I don't know. I really feel like things got really permanently broken around AVX in a way that you just can't like nothing Aaron has done nothing about Enter the Phoenix is for me any more absurd than the Shi'ar used a ship to try and bring the Phoenix back which drove it insane sending it to Earth looking for love to bring it back from its insanity it tries to get Scott but instead goes into Emma it takes the combined forces of a bunch of psychics who vaguely disdained Jean to somehow teach it love fine Bird goes to sleep Bird comes back puts itself in the hearts of a couple of teenage girls like that's gonna go the fuck well also it's a little bit in Quentin also it's a little bit in a bunch of eggs all over the fucking place I just don't think anything in Enter the Phoenix is that far oh and it's in the fucking sword I'm sorry it's in the fucking sword it's just not that far outside of everything else that happened from 2005 on it was also really weird and now they're they're dealing with this now but very clearly there's something up with the fact that Hope looks exactly like Jean and the first four letters of her name are P-H-O-E, like the letters of Phoenix. And the fact that, you know, it's fine if it's not like she's Jean reincarnated or she's actually like a human physical manifestation of the Phoenix. Like, it's fine if it there's any other explanation. But to make it so obvious and blatant and then never acknowledge it, like never really even do jokes. Like, they make a very slim few. They're not really even jokes. They're just Wolverine being frustrated, like right when they try and get the baby. But then after that, it never comes up again. She's raised by Jean's son and it never comes up like it just it's so odd to me that with all of this stuff on the table it is just accepted that we can move forward and never acknowledge it and fans just kind of have
have to eat it because what are they, they can't force us to write something we're not going to write. And so, yeah, I would say that when you put all those things on the table in comparison to, you know, everybody gets a Phoenix piece for a brief run in which, like, even if you don't like it, whatever, you see some real cool character designs and that's worth it for a for one art. I think, you know, it's very fair to say this is nowhere near as offensive as people make it out to be when you put it on balance with all the Phoenix stuff that we've dealt with in the last 15 years. I think Phoenix stories have worked the same way sometimes Borg stories work because, like, I think the less you use the concept, the scarier and grander the idea can be. Like, Agreed completely. Into the Phoenix is kind of like some of those hokey Borg episodes in Voyager where you're like, why did they do this? And, that, and that's kind of like where we've gotten to with the Phoenix Force where not everything is this amazing grand story. They're they're bringing out this grand idea and sort of diluting it the more they I mean, I would almost even put it more in line with the Q because just insofar as like the whole idea is you can't really conceive of what's going on at the higher levels and you ought not to be able to and that's kind of the fun and you know when you go into the continuum and it's the wild west and they like make a baby by touching fingers that's all (laughs) but like you know the only reason why i don't want to say it's the borg is because while the fear factor of the unknown with the borg is really true and you want to use them sparingly the idea of let's explore a hive mind versus a staggeringly individualistic species that is doing their best to be collectivist for the greater good but can't really do it on at the instinctual level that these people literally consider themselves drones and individuals will just allow themselves to die because it's nothing to the collective like that becomes interesting to explore at a more granular level you really can't get granular with the queue you should not and the times that they do it are some very silly voyager stories (laughs) i could have q phoenix story conversations all day yeah we gotta we gotta move into yeah (laughs) because bringing it to space and other concepts is a really great way to put it because we have two doubles in a row we have double phoenix eggs we have double quentin and then we have double jeans scott has a phoenix egg i you know what i fuck fine fine he's got xavier money he killed xavier so he gets xavier's money and xavier has warren himbo money so fine he curated an egg felicia got it for him i don't care fine but then (laughs) thanos gets all egg chasey about it in the pages of thanos and i'm like thanos wants a phoenix egg the fuck fine it's fine i have no problem with it but then like i genuinely think the asgard shiar war is like one of the best arcs to really delve into the idea of like how we don't know that much about Shi'ar myth at times so things like the gods who would be connected to the phoenix might really just be kind of crazy bird gods and Quentin's phoenix shard is really central to that story and it's one of the best moments of Jane Foster ever and then Quentin loses his phoenix shard in the pages of Generation X to resurrect Jubilee I'm sorry to fix Jubilee and so well she was undead then it's the double genes it's you know hey I'm young Jean Grey and I make questionable choices but youth protects me and I'm almost always written by men. And then it's the resurrection of adult Jean. And she's like, oh, don't worry. I won't be a plot device this time. So I feel like Jason Aaron, you know, I don't know if he was told to do the Phoenix story or not, but if he saw an opportunity to make sure that a Native American character got to possess the Firebird, that was inevitably at least part of the inspiration for her character. And that's why he did this. Really, really cool. I also just want to go out of my way to mention one more, one more Phoenix. And if everybody could just not boo me, please. But I just want to remind everybody that there is Wolverine from Earth 14412 and he has been the Phoenix a bunch of times and he was in Marvel Legacy and he shows up in King Thor 
her and he shows up in some of Aaron's Avenger stuff and I'm just a really I'm amused that this Wolverine has like full on conversations with the Phoenix and it's the voice of Avengers 1 million BC Phoenix and she talks as though she is Avengers 1 million BC Phoenix as if that's the spirit of the Phoenix this whole time but she's gotten lost through the hosts so I don't know I think there's a lot to be said about Wolverine as the Phoenix who ultimately um, repeatedly is willing to give up the Phoenix Force because it's not his he's just holding on to it for a friend and I love him it's honestly one of the kind of more logical things because everybody that the two of them Phoenix and Wolverine love is also a host of the Phoenix so when you get down to it the idea that eventually they would both be like I don't we just got to team up just we're the only ones left so we gotta makes a lot more sense than like Emma has a billion clone children and they all get a little piece of it little clone pieces for everybody <laughs> wait, wait 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 we gotta talk about Gerard though Phoenix is 691 yeah no everybody let's put our Phoenixes on the table sometimes when I think about the not exiles exiles and the fact that it had not quite Kane Kane yeah that's my whole answer yeah as I said for a brief moment for no explicable reason Nate Gray has the Phoenix Force and um, I'm sticking with the fact that that is somehow super important and will come back later in a story that I force Marvel to let me write against the goodwill of everybody in the world but boy will I get it published god damn it when was he the Phoenix like was it during his solo or after it was an X-Man I want to say like 98 or 99 it's literally two issues like I can send you one memorable panel from it he like is running so hot that he like has a raptor but there's no like it's nonsense it's nothing it is absolutely nothing whatsoever speaking of nonsense nothing Phoenix let's not forget the time Ink drew a Phoenix tattoo over his eye in the pages of young X-Men and temporarily became semi-Phoenixy that was fucking wild Uh, also did not draw it over his eye the tattoo artist that was the actual mutant drew it over the dude's eye that dude who has all the tattoos is not even a mutant I completely forgot that (laughs) <laughs> oh, what about the goblet force in Mutant X-Earth that killed the Phoenix? I really genuinely think in the way that there's kind of a spider totem that's connected to Spider-Man and Black Panther is said to be sort of the equivalent, right? Which is why Morlin was able to attack, like, you know, the Panther spirit within the Panther. And we know that Romulus is sort of that same thing in a lot of ways, right? So there's sort of like an animal force, like there's sort of like a spread of the red throughout the Marvel Universe. But like... Like, I just want to point out that then shouldn't there also be like a spread of forces like the Goblin Force and the Phoenix Force or the Enigma Force? There's so many different aspects that represent incredible power within the scope of the Marvel Universe that I really love you bringing up that Goblin Force moment because I think it is really important to remember that the Phoenix is life incarnate and that makes sense in worlds where life incarnate is doing real good. But what about worlds that are off balance? I feel like a power vacuum makes a lot of sense at least it's not as weird as the phoenix ancient predator being the wrath of god oh my god and okay let's touch on it for a second the excalibur stuff is unbelievably ridiculous for one moment and i'm occasionally shattered to pieces by thinking about it where i'm like okay they decide that the phoenix was actually like a dude and he was friends with merlin who was just like a dude and they were also friends with a guy named necron and they didn't think (laughs) this was would be bad. So then Necron kind of becomes the anti-Phoenix and it's ultimately revealed that all of this was things done by Roma to position Necron the anti-Phoenix against Phoenix but that's Rachel Phoenix and the team of Excalibur was called together
together because they could all fuse and make Captain Britain like one giant trend out dude where they were like, the first mutant circuit. Yeah, Kitty phased them all into one body and Kurt could teleport them together and it was, you know, <laughs> Megan's power that allowed them to merge and then uh, Brian's body could contain them all and it's just kind of weird. It's but weird. Let us not forget that Claremont then shows up in Uncanny, it's like late 400s and brings up the first Fallen that is also somehow the polar opposite to the Phoenix and has this whole like since the dawn of time rivalry with the Phoenix that is nonsense and then somehow leads into a whole thing with Jamie Braddock being resurrected again. There are some real nonsense Phoenix storylines just throughout time. And all of the Farron stuff in Excalibur is ridiculous, Nico. You're right. Here's all I'm saying. Before we take another step into entering the Phoenix, which is truly a low point in Aaron's very impressive run as an arc. I'm not here to say this is one of his better arcs, and we're going to get into the critical reasons why. None of them are a lack of ability from the creative team, but just perhaps some places that it didn't all click into place like the gear work that it usually is. It's just, I kind of think everybody needs to stop saying that Jason Aaron broke the Phoenix because the Phoenix has been in rough shape. Yeah. The guy who created her broke her twice. (laughs) (laughs) This is the cue thing. If you get a chance to write something regularly, especially something as cool as the Phoenix, of course you're going to say yes to that because it's so cool and you fell in love with it. You might have created it and fallen in love with it or you were a kid and you fell in love with it. So of course you're going to say yes, but then we all have a ton of garbage ideas when we write. And the fact of the matter is, this is something that cannot be touched by a garbage idea. It can't even be touched by a mediocre one. It has to be transcendent material or it shows that it's not as good. And law of averages, a lot of this stuff is not going to be transcendent material. And so even if it's just mediocre, it is going to look really bad. And that's just kind of the name of the game. Nobody broke anything. This was a, this is a shattered beast to begin with. That's why there's all these shards all over the place and we just got to deal with it. The Phoenix is just sharding on everyone. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. Well, let's enter that fucking Phoenix. You sound just like Odin when you say that. Oh. <laughs> I was like, is that our like XXXX parody? I wish. We're going to kick things off with Avengers 39. You know, one of the things about this issue that I love so much is the creepy long-haired man with the limp wrists. There's no way he's just not prehistoric Xavier, right? Yeah, that, no, yes. that was my first thought. <laughs> Put him in a bodysuit. And I love that they're like, you know, you can tell it's prehistoric times because he has what? Hair. Hair. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then all of the mutants that she joins, she's so excited to be one with them. And I love that the analogy is pretty quickly, you know, hated and feared. I'm just really fascinated that she was like tortured by birds. So she just decides to become a bigger, badder bird. Like, get it. Okay. I, the issue was beautiful odin you know oof god damn they gotta stop drawing odin like this on me it's just not right and then she's got these giant wolf things and all i can think is like odin is like a wolf person thing so i don't know this issue worked for me top to bottom and it's such a straightforward issue girl meets xavier xavier's like meet my mutants mutants are like hey you're one of us bad guys are like we're gonna tear your cave down (laughs) (laughs) this issue didn't do much I, i do like how it defined 
her as a little bit more of a character, but even her origin, it's like a very Jean Grey story. So I'm still like looking at her, seeing her almost an exact physical duplicate of Jean Grey, having the same power set before she gets the Phoenix. And I'm, I'm just, I'm questioning, like now I'm questioning, did the Phoenix choose Jean Grey because she reminded her of Lady Phoenix? Like, hmm. And I think this being a paradox would be one of those things that there is a really beautiful like one-off issue like this that you could do wherein it is established that it is a closed time loop that the phoenix always seeks out a redhead because ultimately that's what the phoenix really is and the phoenix really is that because it always seeks it out thus the time loop always reinforces itself if you did that like in like a couple pages an issue at most that'd be just a really beautiful kind of sign off on why we keep seeing these themes recur if you turned it into a four issue mini it would start to get uglier if you turned it into a like part of a really poorly run x-men series by an author you didn't really like with an artist that wasn't great you'd take this really great concept and then just drive it into the ground and over explain it and it wouldn't be good but like i feel like all the pieces are already on the board to say basically something along those lines and that is the most marvely phoenixy explanation for why this is happening that i can think of i can think of a lot of other really bad ones though but i want to just reinforce your point if you look to mighty thor number 12 by jason aaron and russell bowderman the issue that is the origin of mjolnir and to just sort of be spoiler sensitive check out king thor number four there's some dialogue between phoenix and logan phoenix and then there's a moment that really sort of re-cements this idea that yeah you know what maybe it is all a cyclical paradox yeah that's something that the pieces are there for so like it's an idea that you could say pretty easily in a well done story but it's also one that could go real sour depending on how you did it and similarly there's probably an idea that I'm not thinking of that could explain this that could be really good but there are probably a a lot of really like bad ideas that you just kind of wouldn't really want to see the thing that I do love about this particular issue and what it establishes is that the phoenix does not really have a voice until this time when it connects to this human for the first time it's not you know them having a conversation the phoenix is not talking about how it hungers it's pretty fucking funny that it just roasts that vulture you just get that giant bird fire splash panel and there's a there's a few vultures just absolutely immolated in there i think that's a riot but i like that it is not calling out to her and talking to her and trying to convince her like let me in it's nonverbal. this connection that they make to me is the first time that the phoenix starts to think with language that humans can understand such that in the future when she comes back to earth and you know speaks to a native host at one point speaks to gene at one point she's becoming more human throughout the years because this first host seeded humanity in her it does set a better background for why phoenix is in general tied more to earth than any other planet than the original tying to it in the galliver with the whole pharon mess it really sets up a story where this cosmic force like you know found itself here and it set itself up as one of the protectors of earth but i the only thing i haven't seen as much is like why did it come in the first like i didn't really get a good sense for that i think it was a primordial force of the earth it was just sort of like the cosmic energy of what would one day become nashville hot chicken and i think it just flowed through she just let the fire flow through her she fucking served up some bird oh my god and now the phoenix is connected to the Shi'ar. 
and yeah. bird people. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Ah, uh, and you know, she does ultimately come to kind of be like, I shouldn't be reckless with life as you know the stories progress, especially when you look at things like one million BC. It's really interesting the ways that Phoenix kind of created her own destiny by living it. I'm just so fascinated by this incredible paradox. <laughs> I don't even dislike this arc. I think we do a lot of cool things that Black Panther, through his sort of mystic, telepathic, cybernetic suit, can plug in to the Celestial to talk to the Phoenix. Hot. That Cap and Doom fight, and Doom is like, "Mm -mm, I don't want this because the Phoenix doesn't want me to kill you. We do not have the same goals. I'm out. Love it. Never accept a rental that you are unwilling to abide by the contract. Thousand percent. But I do think that really what this arc comes down to, beginning to end, is that the internalized thoughts from Cap about sort of the nature of the draw of the Phoenix and then ultimately coming to realize that they need it throughout the course of the series in order to survive this ordeal, um, it really is kind of the apology tour that we needed by giving us an Avenger in the form of Echo and having so many Avengers be like, oh man, I've had the Phoenix Force now. I know what it feels like. I think they sort of took a lot of the sting off of the Phoenix just murdered a bunch of people a couple years ago. And also that we would ever plausibly have AVX2 where all these Avengers just out of hand are saying, nope, Phoenix is bad. I don't want to hear anything more. It's Parasite. It's bad. We just got to get rid of it. It's bad. And the X-Men saying like, well, we actually have like a long history with the Phoenix and it's a lot more complicated than that. It's actually not just bad or even just good. So like instead of turning it away from the Earth, we could all work together and figure this out. And the Avengers just going, nope, it's bad. Now it would be a ragtag group of Avengers that pissed a lot of other Avengers off if you had that group who was just really totally anti-Phoenix. Everybody else would ha- probably have that same perspective of like I've, I have been a host of the Phoenix and I understand that it's more complicated than that and we've got to figure this out. I think that is one of the biggest things that this arc does. I think it is nuts in so many ways that Tony Stark <laughs> remains one of the people that Tony Stark is going to end this universe just being like, fuck you Phoenix, you are the worst. And Phoenix is going to be like, it's actually you that's the worst, Tony. It kind of feels like somebody has a like a poster with ideas and somebody's just like throwing darts at him and combining everything and sometimes they've really really worked like I really liked a lot of the balls to the wall moments in Starbright arc but I think this one threw too many people together and the voices were really wrong on the characters oh my god worst Wolverine Aaron has ever written yes like and, but he's written Wolverine and he's written a really good well respected Wolverine that so many voices the characters don't feel like themselves uh, it doesn't feel like the characters were chosen for any real rhyme or reason and I'm having have a hard time believing that the Phoenix would have a contest like this. I'm agreeing with you. The Phoenix, correct and put back together as it should be, would never have a contest like But a Phoenix fractured and shattered and sharded and rebuilt and then rejected and then rebuilt and rejected and all of these endless cycles that it's been through with the Shi'ar Asgard war and Quentin losing his piece to bring back Jubilee there's so many elements to what the Phoenix has been through that I think the Phoenix is damaged and I think it's acting out of I think it's acting out of its normal personality because the Phoenix is usually bonded to one person for kind of a minute and now it's been bonded to so many people so frequently and they're all at odds with one another I would also argue that since the five started fighting each other for their pieces of the Phoenix the Phoenix has never said like fight each other people who possess 
possessed the Phoenix start thinking, I guess I got to fight for this other people. We got to fight for supremacy until somebody has the whole thing. And then that's the Phoenix. And this doesn't really get said here. And I don't necessarily believe this was the intention, but I think this would be a fun way to spin it, which is just that the Phoenix shows up and it's like, no, I just gave you each a piece of me and told you to figure it out. You all decided to fight each other for supremacy. I just put you in the white hot room and said, like, talk it out. Like, you each have a piece, figure it out. It's so hard to gel this with previous iterations of Phoenix that have gone to space and, like, remained without an avatar to heal and, like, kind of, like, coalesce, grow. Like, taking on a avatar always sort of kind of weakened it from its general cosmic state. So I'm just, ah, uh, I would like to see the explanation for why. I wonder if it's just the thing from Endsong. Now it's kind of obsessed with love, which is kind of a thing that it got from the animated series, which is kind of a thing it didn't need. I don't think the Phoenix needed to be obsessed with love. I... Uh, and now it seems like it's obsessed with Scott in some semi-sexual ways. And I like the idea that like the universe is finite and the Phoenix started as a completely cosmic entity. But as the universe gets older and comes to a death and living beings start to proliferate throughout the universe, it becomes less of a cosmic entity and a more grounded one that desires that groundedness more and more. Kind of what you said made me think of something else. I, is this the first Phoenix we've seen in this iteration of the cosmos? Well, and that's where it gets really tricky because I'm not sure where the iteration reboot exactly lies for the phoenix egg that thanos gets so it's it's iffy because gene was brought back and spoke with the phoenix after the cosmos reboot and the shard that quentin uses is after the reboot but and jubilee too yeah okay it's it's just hard to keep track of and so many people get phoenixed here we get a phoenix uh, well hold on i need to take a second the thing that makes this arc so hard is the defenders of the deep showing up i I understand Namor has a stake here, but I'm my focus is too split. Let me just focus on the Phoenix stuff. I don't need this other shit. Telling me that there's a Phoenix thing going on is enough. Oh, shit. That I don't need more. Oh, shit. So like, it, it's things like, you know, Aaron writes such a good Black Panther that gets so covered up in needing to try and keep track of everything happening. I mean, I think the other way you could look at it is that you kind of don't need to keep track of everything happening and the salient details of the arc and the things that I think really you want to take away from it still are pretty great without keeping track of everything and that really is the phoenix stuff and for me more than anything it is the imagining what so many different people would look like with a with a phoenix design you know if the plot isn't going to be super important for phoenix mythos stuff and then adding extra plot on top of that really just confuses your brain entirely i think it says a lot about what's going on here that you actually can kind of end up ignoring a lot of it and look at the pretty pictures and when it all wraps up you're in a pretty okay place orb phoenix exactly okay <laughs> orb phoenix and it's everything i've ever wanted i love giant eyeball characters and that this one is just a giant eyeball phoenix bring it uh, dino you know, phoenix is really fun too i love dino phoenix uh for me the highlight is hyperion versus shang chi which has so many weird similarities that are in no way actual similarities to the fight between mr sensitive and yeah. tony stark yeah I know it has nothing in common with it other than one guy is writhing in some grass, but it's, you know, I did start to get maybe a little overwhelmed with the number of fights and there's so, it, it kind of got to be the same problem as Ten of Swords where I wasn't interested in your non-fights. I want real fights. 
Okay, but see, whereas I liked Ten of Swords for the inventive way that it, it went, like, I didn't like all of these moments here, but I did like, I did like Shang-Chi's defeat over Hyperion like that. But then, like, we got these crazy, like, Howard the Phoenix. Red Widow Phoenix. I've never heard of Red Widow before today. Is the funniest joke. <laughs> And, you know, it's little things that I think that I keep referring to this a lot lately on the show. And I think it's worth mentioning, but there's no wrong way to be a fan. I think if you're going to try and, you know, say that you're an expert on a character, it might benefit to have done more reading and be versed with more elements of a character. But if you wake up one morning and you, for the first time in your entire fucking life, walk out the door and you see Thor and you say to yourself, male Thor, female Thor, I don't care which Thor. Man, that's the coolest character I've ever seen in my life. I've never loved any fiction character more than I love that character just based on how they make me feel. Great, great. You literally have every right to be the biggest fan of Thor in the world and no one can take that from you. So I have no problem with, you know, any kind of fan. I just want to point out the complications of and the benefits of what this does to Wikipedia fandom. <laughs> sort of that idea where we all get a lot of our, you know, even if we've read it, we jump onto Marvel Fandom Wiki, we jump onto the Wiki, we jump onto UncannyXmen.net. We need to remind ourselves some of this stuff. We, you know, we don't have all of these issue numbers memorized all the time. You know, we have key ones for us memorized and then there's common ones, but that doesn't mean that we all always have all the exact stuff remembered. Like, I got that thing wrong about the young X-Men Phoenix moment where I thought I remembered it was one thing, but it was a different thing. And I completely think there is validity to using these web resources as a way to regain or initially gain knowledge on a topic that you maybe, for whatever reason, don't have access to, can't afford, just don't want to use your time to read. Nothing wrong with that either. But this goes ahead head and fucks every phoenix wikipedia apart because now everyone's a fucking phoenix and everyone's a phoenix over and over again and they die and come back and they die and come back this is this is some issues man it is definitely one that would crack the internet in half as joey q might say yeah i mean and you really can't say much more than that because this is not for for somebody who reads that way it's going to be very difficult to realize that you actually can just ignore a lot of this for any particular character. It really does take reading it to understand that this is just kind of a bunch of silly one-offs. And it's like hyper silly one-offs in a lot of ways because I ultimately think that its echo is hyper choreographed in the fact that she's the one fighting Namor and she could only either become the Phoenix or die. Those are her two choices. And she'd already died in Moon Knight in a really uncomfortably awkward way and then just sort of comes back and we're all good with it great and i'm fascinated by the sort of trajectory that this puts the narrative of the phoenix on i have truly no ultimate qualm with anything anyone did while they were the phoenix i feel that perhaps people's attitudes and energies were amplified but like there were really great moments like she hulk is choosing to use other assets she's very clear that she's totally in control in this decision to kill namor she's using her strength as a Hulk to take care of her people the same way Tony Stark would make a hard decision the same way T'Challa would make a hard decision the same way Storm chooses to make the hard decision for her people there were some really beautiful character moments shown through and even under the control of the Phoenix nobody seemed to be different than they are I just didn't need like five or six issues I I love the outcome I do love Echo being the Phoenix that I have absolutely no problem with but it's just for the whole challenge of Into the Phoenix you know and we obviously didn't understand the rules there was a little tin of swords of that. Just the idea that Echo fell in one of the first fights wasn't really featured much until
until the last issue, that she became the Phoenix didn't seem to be well set up for her character. Like, there was in the arc a little bit of hints saying, like, oh, it might be her. But, like, she wasn't presented as a super important character. So it was kind of like, ha let's see who's going to be the Phoenix. It's Echo. I feel like I've become very zen about this, knowing that I was going to cover it, being one of those people that really raged against this conceptually long before I was ever a part of this podcast. So by the time I realized I was going to have to cover it, I, I really took some time and let go of a lot of my emotions about it and found a lot to love here. And I feel like even at this point like I'm not and I'm not coming for anybody when I say this but I feel like I'm more forgiving than you two about a lot of the dumb stuff here and a lot of the stuff that is problematic not the most well written not really consistent the one thing that I am going to say I had a big problem with and it only starts in this issue it's gonna take us all the way to last week is the end of 42 when cave lady phoenix appears before Thor and calls him my son and she does it in a like Pornhub kind of way that I don't know what to do with it. There is a weird sinister bend to the presentation of it here. Like there's an attempt to vilify the Phoenix in this particular point, but okay. And Nathan, I believe I checked with you. You read Avengers 1 million BC, right? Yes. Okay, so we're going to just, and I'm going to make sure that it's in the episode image so nobody doesn't know this is coming. So to dip into the pages of Avengers 1 million BC for a minute, I have to be honest, I did greatly enjoy this unbelievable Jason Aaron, Kev Walker, and Ed McGinnis issue, but I ultimately, hold on, wait a minute. I just, and like, is she like, you kind of breastfed from my fire one time when I ran really fast with you? snuggled in my boobs so I'm your mom too uh, also Nobody I convinced your parents to fuck yeah. sorry not even I convinced your parents to fuck I convinced your mom to fuck your dad cause your yes. dad will fuck anything really wanted to fuck me but I was not into it so I went to your mom and was like you deal with this and without my doing that you would not exist therefore I'm basically your mom which is actually how I really feel about all of my friend's children so you're welcome i am a father to many i i think what issue 42 set up like the the way it was presented did i like the 1 million bc avenger story i thought it was a really well constructed story i can see why why phoenix loves thor like its own child but for her to claim that she's his actual mother or to say my son and to see him as a son in that type of way i don't doesn't gel I also had a problem with, like, why did the Phoenix need to go to the stars? That was never really explained, especially when Phoenix has basically been set up by Aaron as a primal Earth force. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the balance in, like, what is Phoenix supposed to be? I know she, I know the Phoenix is the, you know, the, the sum of all life and death, but, like, what is its purpose at, in these stories? Also, if you loved him so much, where have you been for the last million fucking years? Yeah. Oh, and she hates the sound of thunder but then when she takes human form her best friend controls the weather and makes thunder this is one of those positions where i i do need to say that i love the idea that especially with the revelations in aaron's avengers that the in aaron's thor that the power behind mjolnir is actually a, a dynamically yonic force right i think there is something really beautiful about all of the greatest powers outside of the all father that have ever touched Thor are feminine and I think 
that is necessary to the idea of why he's greater than his father. And I mean, hold on, take a fucking second. Boar was nuts. So I'm not saying that Odin had the world's greatest dad. That guy would have fucking chopped down Yadrasil if he thought he could have gotten some meat out of the center. So like, boys got problems. And that definitely played into Odin. But then Thor is so much better in so many ways for so many of the incredible women that have touched his life. And it's not their job to have made him better. And I'm certainly not saying that was their purpose in their lives. But that is the grandness of the value of the intersection of their lives touching that now this man who would go on to have such a greater impact was made so much better than the ones who came before him. So I love this idea that Phoenix kind of foster mom Thor from a distance like a creeper. It kind of reminds me of the Ruby D episode of Golden Girls. I stood at your wedding. I was in the back. I watched while you had your dance with your father. And it's sort of like, okay, is Phoenix saying that it stood in the back with the caterers while Thor had his dance with his father at his wedding? Because fine, fine. I'm not here to fucking fight about it. I love the idea more than the ultimate execution, but I am really hoping to see where it goes in the future. You know, Thor to Phoenix felt a little bit like Legion and Proteus to Charles and Moira. Like, because she wanted to leave a protector for Earth behind, and so she had one of the goddesses mate with Odin so that somebody would always be there to protect Earth. So, like, he was more engineered by the Phoenix than anything else. It's so funny how we're flipped on this. Like, is this progenics? I'm so confused. I love your guys' explanation, and they do soften me up a little bit on this. And a proper issue or two, like, to have Thor come back in, because it does seem like, unless this was the thing, we, we got an advertisement for that we were getting more on this, um, on Phoenix and Thor. I'm hoping it wasn't just this. I will say that you should keep a keen eye for X's for Podcasts' future coverage of Avengers Forever. There you go. I would love for Thor to be like, you showed up and said I was your son. And then for her to be like, yeah, I'm a firebird. I don't have a lot of kid stuff. Like, I just love you a lot. And maybe I used the wrong language, but like, I see you as the child I never had. And, you know, you could massage this weird setup that was obviously meant to get people talking and make it into something that was a little bit tender and beautiful. And you guys are right. There are explanations for how this was a thing that make it not as bad as I am seeing it now. But I, to go from standing in front of him saying, my son, with a promise that we will be revisiting this, to getting to the revisit, and it really is, Gaia, you fuck Odin. I got stuff to do. I'll be back to jumpstart that baby's heart. That's my kid now. Again, don't take your parenting advice from me because this is how I see myself as the parent of so many children and I know that I'm not but I really hope those kids will take care of me when I'm in the old folks home One last thing I want to talk about is the looks. This served up some unbelievably good looks. Phoenix Wolverine, amazing. Phoenix Namor, amazing. Captain Phoenix, amazing. Phoenix Hulk, ah! Yes, that's correct. It's really unfair to Jen. It's so not right. It's it's a that ain't right situation. It looks a little bit Planet Hulk. It looks a little bit the Dan Slott, Greg Horn era. It looks a little bit not what I wanted. 
it just it's weird to be having this conversation when we're a couple days away from She-Hulk episode three, where you just see like a real hot Jen in every way. So Say hot. what you will about the CGI. I think sometimes it's not amazing, but then sometimes it's like astounding. And on top of that, the fashion is right. And it's just like, even if you want to give me this is crazy gamma She-Hulk and we are about to go into World War She-Hulk, so it's not like implausible. It's just, this is the moment at which you can kind of say fuck it to anything plot related that really necessitates She-Hulk being like a Hulk and focus more on like Jen Walters being a bad bitch with a Phoenix crest and she's bigger than everybody. Like just do it. We're having fun this arc. Like let's just, if we're gonna do all these designs, like let's just have a little fun that this was a hill to die on in terms of no, Jen has to look like a fucking monster with a Phoenix crest. Um, You know, also this week, Cassandra Nova got a symbiote that had a vaguely Phoenix crest on it. So like anything's possible in America as far as I'm concerned. Like just do what you need to do. But Jen deserved better. I did not like very many of the Phoenix designs. Like I liked Shang-Chi's because I thought it was cool. I liked how Hyperion's look really, really channeled old school Dark Phoenix and Shazam because it's just like his look with the Phoenix bird instead of the lightning bolt. I have to say like Namor's look was a real downgrade from his Phoenix 5 look for me. And I think it was just trying to do too many Phoenix looks that nobody really got a over-the-top look that I saw. Well, hold on. I think if people check the CBR Marvel Enter the Phoenix Designs original article from 2020, they will find that in his amazing Phoenix costume, Shang-Chi's butt is so good that I'm about to propose marriage. Definitely my favorite look out of all of them is Shang-Chi's. I thought T'Challa's look was so pedestrian. Like, for, like, it was just, I didn't really like it like that. I think it's sort of like the Black Panther costume with a crown on it. Yeah. And that's why it's so black but gilded. It, it is very understated though for certain. I also shout out for like I I mean there a bunch of the silly ones were really great too. Like Howard the Duck I thought was really fun and cool. I will say the one that I actually didn't love was Namor's because we got a really good Namor one in the Phoenix 5 and this just felt like they were kind of covering up more. I will also say like design is one thing. Execution of the art is another. There were some times where the art here was a little rough. Luke Cage suffered in his Phoenix outfit in the couple panels that he really got on it. And I felt very sorry for him because I felt like Power Man, Phoenix Man really deserve better. But like Shannon the She-Devil, another one that I really love. And any animal that got it. uh, Yes, also Valkyrie, especially since Thor did not get it because he's busy having mama drama. It was nice to see an Asgardian with it. But like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Shauna and Zabu, like animals in the Phoenix Force just sold like everybody is just stunting it's it's fantastic cap phoenix that was the one that if you nail it and especially to do it that early on and in contrast to dooms which seems to me bad intentionally because doom just this is not for him this is not his thing uh he's shown up for the power but then quickly realizes it's not going to work his way so if you have doom looking just kind of a ragged mess in his phoenix wares and then captain america shows up and that is just an iconic spin-off of the captain america look but phoenixed in the same way that the corsair cap look is like a captain america look but corsaired starting there it just kind of means that all of the good ones are going to seem cool by association and all of the bad ones you're not really going to care about so much because you got to also hang out at the cool kids table when you're first reading the arc i'm like oh they didn't give echo a cool costume she can't be phoenix but then i'm like oh that's the phoenix costume they're gonna stick with yeah it's kind of weird that she just gets the phoenix costume she's gonna have i don't 
know why, but the Phoenix is always like, 10 looks, now, <laughs> variations, show me. Like, so that she was just like, her name is Echo. There should be echoes of this fucking look on the whole. I think I'm going to give it an optimistic C. Wow, that's lower than I would have thought. But like an optimistic C. I know, but like, I'm giving it a B minus. Mm, wow. No, I can't. I can't do that. I can't. I'm going to give it a C minus. It barely, it passed. Yes. <laughs> and and I got I to gotta give, the one thing I do have to give Echo's costume because I just bashed it credit for is I love the way the handprint and gold echoes like Rachel's obvious, you know, time when she had the gold tattoo and I, the use of the Phoenix Firebird. The little Firebirds instead of one big one. Whoever was doing the art here, this is what you think the summer house on the moon looks like? Oh my god, yes! <laughs> the weird stairs. That was not a great Jean Grey either. The gene just looks real pouty and sad from from space, but also in your head in the clouds. Like it just is uh, a moment, and it is nobody's fault that this is still the time where Jean is doing her Marvel girl look to appear non-threatening. But it's too bad that this couldn't have been the moment where you know she showed up in Phoenix garb for solidarity, or at the very least in the new green armor, because just in the Marvel girl with the big lips looking real sad is just not <laughs> not what i wanted she looks like she's alexis rose going to boop maya yes <laughs> sexy phoenix baby lives on moon daddy it's uh it's my new favorite thing i'm a little bit phoenix even though <laughs> i'm not i could write that whole thing oh yeah She's going to eat Dabari. She's not a little bit sorry. It's <laughs> going to be amazing. All right. Okay. We did it. We got through Enter the Phoenix. Yes. And it was so much better than we thought it would be. And we're even big fans of this run. It was just this, as X-Men fans, was an undertaking. And I think it went really well. I'm excited for World War She-Hulk, which I've read a couple of times for different reasons. And it's a pretty strong arc, so I'm excited to get to that one next. And, you know, sort of add Echo to our story. And then after that, guys, it's time to split it in two and we're going to be looking at Avengers Forever and Avengers and from there we're going to be interpolating some Infinity Comics and some one shots and it's going to be exciting time. Can't wait. Going to go work on my costume for when I inevitably get possessed by the Beast. Yeah, I got to get one in mind because we we're all going to be Phoenix hosts at some point. It's just going to be Phoenix style gym shorts and a tank top. Phoenix is going to be so unimpressed with my fashions. I'm going to be like Phoenix. I'm going to do full Phoenix Tom of Finland. <laughs> 